Good morning, brothers and sisters. In our first reading today from the Book of Wisdom, we are reminded that not only as human beings and, and finite creatures, because of sin, our intellects are darkened. We don't fully understand not even the things of earth, let alone the, the things of God. We're told that we struggle to grasp these earthly things, so how could we ever understand the things of heaven? This is why we need God's revelation. We need God to reveal to us the things we should know. Otherwise, we, we just don't know what we're doing half the time, and we're going to get into trouble because of it. It's not just true on a natural level. Why do we seek education and learning? Because life is hard, and you can't figure out everything on your own. Well, spiritually speaking, that's just as true. We need teachers and guides, but there is no good spiritual guide if God does not reveal the truth to them first. Our spiritual guide is the church. God himself came in our flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, and revealed himself to us fully in this way. And he revealed himself specifically to 12 apostles, 12 men, who he empowered, not just with his teaching, but with his authority, and he sent them out. And so the church exists to this day to remind us, to teach us, to guide us in the ways of God. Without the church, we would have no idea how to get to heaven and what God wants. Now, I remind you of this because there's something I want to talk about in, in particular today. It's a topic that came up recently with me, and so I did a little more research and digging just to make sure I, I was right on all of the church's teachings on this topic. So it's very possible I may have mentioned this in years past, but I don't think I have in, in a long time. So. In regards to devotion to the angels, in regards to devotion to the angels, we are only ever allowed to call upon them by name if we're referring to Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. It is forbidden, is Catholic teaching, that it is forbidden to attempt to call upon any other angelic name. It's forbidden. There's the only three angelic names we're allowed to use. You can't name your guardian angel. You can't follow other traditions who believe they know the names of other angels or other archangels. Basically, we know the name of Lucifer, but we don't call upon him, and that's pretty obvious. And we know the three archangels, and that's the church's teaching. It doesn't mean we can't call upon the other choirs of angels. In general, it doesn't mean we can't call upon all of the guardian angels in general, but if we are using the name of an angel, we're only allowed as Catholics to use one of those or all three of them, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Now, this has always been the church's teaching. This has always been the church's tradition. This has been the tradition since the Old Testament. Why? Because in over 2,000 years of Judeo-Catholic tradition, those are the only three names we've ever been given. You can study the entire Old Testament and New Testament. The only angels that are named are those three. They're the only ones we're allowed to call on by name. And if we attempt to use a supposed other name, thinking it refers to an angel, you're actually calling on a demon. So, 
In 745, there was a council called by Pope Saint Zacharias because there were some heretics, I believe in Germany, and the bishops up there were a little concerned on how to deal with them. And so he sent letters to the Pope and the Pope called a, a local council of bishops to discuss how to deal with these heretics. One of these heretics in particular, I'll just explain to you a few things that he was doing. So he had claimed that many special angels had come to him and revealed to him kind of deeper mysteries and truths about the Lord. He had bribed bishops to ordain him a bishop. So he got ordained a bishop, but he did it with bribery. And then he would go around preaching and teaching his little interpretation of Catholic Christianity. He would also cut his hair and clip his fingernails and give them to people as holy relics because the angels has revealed to him that he's already a saint. And he would start writing his own prayers and teaching the people that uh, they should consecrate their churches and their chapels to him, not to the apostles. So this is in 745. So obviously this is, this is a pretty bad heretic. So the bishops are having a hard time dealing with this. So they send the letters to the Pope, Pope St. Zacharias, and saying, please help us deal with this. We're trying to suppress him and his followers, but we need your authority. So the Pope invokes the council. It's the Lateran Council. It was held in the Lateran Basilica in Rome in 745, if you want to look this up. So the letters of the bishop were read, and they, were, they contained a lot of the teachings of this heretic and a specific prayer that he wrote. And these teachings and these prayers were read in the council to the Pope and the bishops. And the prayer is very interesting. Obviously, the bishops commented on a lot of his quote-unquote, theology and practices. But the prayer, for the most part, sounded extremely Catholic. Like, if you were to read it today, if you look it up and read it, for the most part, it sounds like a really great Catholic prayer. And for the most part, it is. Except at the end of the prayer, he calls upon the intercession of eight angels by name. Eight angels by name. And after this prayer that he wrote was read to the Pope and the bishops, they all became so infuriated, they wanted the document burned immediately. Luckily, they didn't. They said, well, we should probably preserve this, and they put it in the Vatican archives. But they were so infuriated that he would do this. And unanimously, they declared that he was not calling upon angels. Only one of them was a true angel, and that was Michael. The others were all demons. But they were names that if you study a lot of other kind of traditions and beliefs about angels you may have heard before. Now, why would it be the case that if I were to call on any other name besides Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, assuming that it was some angel, my guardian angel or an archangel or, or whatever, why would it always be a demon? Because the church has given us this teaching, but the question is, how does this happen? It's unlikely that you are going to try to, you're going to on your own figure out the name of a demon or that it sounds like some human name. So how is it that you, even unintentionally, may be calling upon a demon when you use that unapproved name? It's because, let's say that name is not attached to any angelic spirit or any demon. Well, since it already doesn't have a specific reference, it doesn't refer to a specific spirit, any spirit can say to itself, okay, I'm going to kind of legally adopt that name. I'm going to make it my own. Now, the good angels would never do this. 
because God has never given them permission. In fact, there's a story in the scriptures that after a man and an angel were wrestling, he wanted to know the angel's name, and the angel did not tell him. He said, no, you cannot know my name. It is mysterious. And then he disappeared. So the good angels would never answer to any other name because that's not the will of God. That's not been revealed by God to us. So who's going to adopt that name? Who's going to legally take it upon themselves? Obviously someone who wants to lead you away from God. And so even without knowing it, you may have just created a name and some demon says, hey, I'll take that name. Go ahead and keep calling on me. Sure, I'll be there. I'll come to your aid. This is why the church so strictly follows the revelations of our Lord, because we don't want to be led astray. We are ignorant even on earthly matters. How much more ignorant are we on heavenly matters? Without the governing authority of the church, we easily make these kinds of mistakes. Now, as Catholics, we make these mistakes. So imagine our Protestant brothers and sisters who don't have the hierarchy to guide us. Imagine the rest of the pagan world who has no idea what they are doing. No idea. They may be attempting to seek God, but unknowingly seeking demons. Now, there is a passage in Scripture that can be very consoling. I often think about this, and it goes like this. God protects the fools. Whether that's you or me or anyone else in the world, God is merciful. And insofar as he is able, he will protect fools. He will protect foolish people. But it's not always that simple. It's not always that simple. So we do need to be careful, be on guard about these types of things. Now, I, I think it's important to also talk about calling upon the intercession and the aid of the saints. You know, this is a, a related topic. Uh, we can call upon the good angels, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, and all of them, but we do it in a general category because we do not know their specific name. In like manner, we need to be very careful when we call upon any human who has died and gone on before us. The obvious ones we can call upon by name are the ones the church has told us. It's perfectly fine. These are the canonized saints, the beatified saints, and the venerables. So canonized and beatified, they're pretty much the same thing. Don't worry about it. So if the church has said this is a saint, you can obviously call upon them by name and seek their intercession because you know they're in heaven. So you know their intercession is good. If someone is declared venerable, that is after the church has investigated their life. And it's a very thorough investigation. It can take years and years sometimes. So after the church has investigated their life, the church basically tells the rest of us, okay, they lived a very holy and virtuous life. They're most likely in, in purgatory or heaven. So you can begin to pray for their intercession by name, hoping that somebody will get a miracle and then we'll be able to declare them officially a saint. This just happened fairly recently with John Paul I. So he's going to be declared or beatified soon because there was a miracle through his intercession. But he was already venerable. Well, what am I allowed to do with somebody who isn't declared venerable by the church? Let's say my, my dad dies. I don't think he's here, is he? Sometimes he comes to Mass. No. He's not dead, I'm pretty sure. Just got a text from him yesterday. So, 
But let's say my dad dies, and I was there at his deathbed, and I gave him all of the sacraments of the church, right? And he died with faith, and I gave him the apostolic pardon, which removes punishment for, for purgatory. You don't have to go to purgatory if you get the apostolic pardon. So it seems he's got to be in heaven, right? All of the evidence would support my belief and conviction that he's probably got a good, clean judgment by God's mercy, and he's in heaven with the Lord because I gave him the apostolic pardon, didn't have to go to purgatory. So as much as I may personally be convinced that my dad's in heaven, I can't know that. I can't know it for certain because it's beyond my vision. Since I can't know that, I can't assume that. I have hope, I have trust, but I can't assume So if I were to say, oh, Dad, Doug Miller, Dr. Douglas Parker Miller, please intercede for me, your son, that would be a dangerous prayer. Now, if he's in purgatory or heaven, he can pray and intercede for me, and that's fine. But what if, God forbid, he's not? What if there was something I didn't know and couldn't judge, and he didn't receive any of the graces of those sacraments at the last moments of his life for some unrepented sin. I I don't know. God forbid he's in hell, and I have just asked his intercession by name. Oh, he'll intercede for me, all right, along with his other companions. This is the great mistake that we in our love and piety sometimes make for those who have died that aren't declared venerable by the church. We have to be on guard. We have to be careful about these things. So, can I ask for my father's intercession if I believe he's died in God's grace? I can, but I have to do it this way. I have to couch my prayer in the right language just in case. So, Dad, if you're in purgatory or heaven, please intercede for me. (laughs) So, as long as I say that, then I'm limiting the type of intercession I'm seeking. If he's not in purgatory or heaven, I don't want his intercession. So I have to make that statement in my prayer just to be careful because I can't know these mystical things on my own. Either they have to be directly revealed by God in some mystical way or the church herself has to declare them to me. Now, some may like to say, yes, but I've received a mystical vision. An angel appeared to me, remember like that heretic up in in Germany, an angel appeared to me and told me that my dad was in heaven. Do you know why you can't trust that angel? Because the revealed word of God tells us that Lucifer himself can appear as an angel of light. Any demon can come to you and look like anything it wants to. It can look like Mary or Jesus any of the other angels or saints? You know, if the chemicals in my brain can cause an imbalance to lead me to have hallucinations, if how easily I can be deceived by a chemical imbalance in my brain, imagine how much more easily a demon can deceive me who's far greater and more powerful. I can't trust my own senses in these areas. I can't trust my own senses. Even something like that would have to be judged by the church. So if somebody were to come to me and say, oh, Father Miller, I'm receiving a vision, Jesus is appearing to me, or the Blessed Mother, or I hear these voices, do you know what my first assumption is? 
we need to get you a psychological workup, okay? Now, I'm not necessarily going to believe you're crazy, but the church requires that, always has. She assumes the quote-unquote mystical experiences you're having are not supernatural. You're just a little crazy, and we can get you some help. Why is that important? The way God has designed our nature is such that we should always focus on, first and foremost, the natural, because that's what we can grasp. That's what our senses perceive. And so we have to make a natural judgment before we make a supernatural judgment. And so if all of your psychological tests and examinations come back positive, then we will discern whether this is truly of God. Now, it may be spiritual, but it could be demonic. So we have to discern that. And they're basically tests that the church uses. Again, these things aren't easy for us mere humans, which is why we need the church to guide and direct us and tell us what to do and what not to do in our spiritual lives. So remember, when you're praying to the angels, when you're praying to the saints, always be careful. Only pray by name to those who are pre-approved by the church. And if you are praying to any deceased human that is not venerable or beatified or canonized as of yet, always be careful with your language. Add that if clause. If you're in purgatory or heaven, please intercede for me. Because you can't know. I can't know these things. Only God himself can reveal them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to do the back-to-school litany, since most of the schools have begun, and we're going to be starting our faith formation program very soon. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity, one God, Holy Mary, Holy Mother of God, Mother of mercy, Mother of good counsel, Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, Regina Celi, Our Lady of the Rosary, Queen of Peace, Our Lady of Victory, Holy Family, Perfect Model of Christian Family, Saint Michael the Archangel, All you holy angels and archangels, Saint John the Baptist who prepared the way for Christ, Saint Joseph, foster father and protector of our Lord, Saint Joachim and Anne, grandparents of our Lord, Saint Jude, apostle and protector from despair, Saint Patrick, Saint Patrick, patron saint of the Diocese of Charlotte, Saint Dorothy, patron of our parish, Saint Sebastian, courageous martyr and patron of athletes, Saint John Bosco, cheerful teacher and patron of boys, Saint Maria Goretti, pure martyr and patron of girls, Saint Charles Barmeo, patron of catechists, Saint Jerome. 
Saint Dominic Savio, holy schoolboy who avoided all sin. Saint Joseph Cupertino, who struggled with study. Saint Monica, patient mother who never ceased praying for her children. Saint Augustine, eager and brilliant student. Saint Bernadette, who had trouble learning the catechism. Saint Thomas Aquinas, who was called dumb ox by his teachers but grew to be a doctor of the church. Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, tireless educator and patron of Catholic schools. Saint Teresa, the little flower who learned <coughs> holiness from her mother, father, and sisters. Saint Padre Pio, example of holy obedience. Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross, writer and philosopher. Saint Maximilian Kolbe, who freely gave his life to preserve a family's unity. Saint Aloysius, patron saint of youth. Saints Jacinta and Francisco Marto, students of Our Lady of Fatima. Saint John Paul II, lover of learning. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, who modeled for us a life of perfect obedience, perseverance, courage, and innocence, bless our children as they begin a new school year. Show us how to be more like you in thought, word, and deed. Help us to remember your promise that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. Let us never forget that you are the master of our homes and our lives. Amen.